0: Well, with that, church, it is with great excitement and anticipation that we launch into something we're calling a 31 day prayer journey together. And we as a church are going to focus ourselves in intentional prayer over the next 31 days, corporately and in our groups and individually. And I'll walk through what that's going to look like in the life of our church in just a few minutes. But all of this really is. Uh, birthed out of a core conviction that comes from Scripture, and here it is. Uh, When you talk about prayer, we believe, based on the Word of God, that God chooses to work mightily when His people pray in ways that He will not do when we don't pray. In other words, God, I don't understand all of that. We as a church are absolutely in full conviction of the sovereignty of God. He rules over all things. But somehow, biblically, we know that there's a reality that exists that God chooses to work through the prayers of His people. And we as a church are going to focus ourselves on this biblical reality of prayer over the next few weeks together personally incredibly excited about what God may choose to do in our lives as individuals and families and as a church family and let me just ask you as we go into a brand new year 2016 is here uh, this reality is going to hit home for you and the the question for you this morning as you go into a brand new year what is your perspective headed into a brand new year for example when you think about 2016 and a brand new year do you look upon the new year with excitement now you're at a place in your life where, man, things are going pretty well. You're excited about what's coming around the corner. Are you looking into the new year with great excitement? Or are you looking into the new year maybe with grave concern? Maybe there's health issues and health challenges or job concerns or relational concerns or whatever the case is. When you think about the coming year, you're, you're concerned deeply. Or maybe you look into 2016 and it's a big question mark. There's some unresolved issues. There's some unanswered questions. There's some things you're waiting for. There are open doors or doors that have not opened. There are questions you have and you're wrestling with. Maybe you look into the next year with grave questions. Maybe some of you as a part of this church family are a little bit like me. You, you you look into 2016 and let me just say as a church God has blessed us. We, we're experiencing his favor. We're healthy and stable but there's this discontent as believers sometimes I think God puts this holy discontent in us that God we know there's more God we know there's more that you want to do in us and through us in our community and into the nations in our own lives Lord there's, there's more so maybe there's this stirring in you that God there's more of what you want to do in us and through us Wherever you are, just being real honest with the Lord, wherever you are right now, let me just say the statement again. God chooses to work mightily when His people pray in ways that He chooses to not do when we don't pray. I don't understand all of that. Maybe you don't even realize that as you sit here this morning, in one way or another, you are a product of the prayers of someone somewhere along the line in many ways, humanly speaking. I mean, I know that's true for me. I told the first service, I can't, even, I, I can't even read a verse on prayer. I can't read a book about prayer. I sure can't go into a series on prayer without thinking. And it just comes in my mind the picture of my dear, now-in-heaven grandmother, Estelle Slagle. I know, humanly speaking, as I'm standing here, I'm the product of her earnest, faithful prayers for years for that rebellious, thick-skulled teenage boy that had no clue what he was doing. And there were times that my grandma and my family had to be thinking, what is he thinking? And it was my frontal lobe was not not developed yet. I wasn't thinking very clearly. I was sinning. I was walking away from the Lord. I was doing crazy things. And every night as I would drive into my house, I'm from Unicoi County. I lived over in Unicoi County. And I was driving. We have cars in Unicoi County. Anyway, I was driving up to my house Every night, I had to go past my grandmother's house. And without fail, every night, I mean, I could just, I see it right now in my mind. There was my grandmother's bedroom light on every night. And when I drove by, there was this catch in my heart. I knew what my mom was doing. She had her Bible opened. She was arthritic. Her knees were failing her. Her joints were so, you know, they were so full of arthritis. She could hardly even bend the pages. And I, can, I knew she had her Bible open and she was crying out to God on behalf of this thick-skulled, rebellious, young teenage boy. Thank God for the prayers of my grandma. I mean, my wife's not in this service. She was in the first service. I know I'm married to the woman I'm married to today, humanly speaking, because my grandmother prayed me a godly wife. Thank God. I'm probably in ministry because of the prayers of my godly grandmother. She said, I'm going to pray me a preacher boy. And I guess she did. (laughs) The results of the prayers of a godly woman. Many of you have been directly impacted by the prayers of others. And you don't even know it. If you experience and you enjoy the The benefits of being a part of this church family, now 25 years old, you are standing on the shoulders of men and women who have sought God in prayer on your behalf and on your representing you, those who have prayed before you, and you are the result of the prayers of many godly men and women who have gone before you. Listen, you may have no idea. Every Thursday morning for the last, I'm not going to put him on the spot, if I were to ask him, probably 25 years, Charles Chandler, Dan Valley and Brad Hasty have met in this building at 7:30 every Thursday morning for over 20 years and prayed for you and this church. Wow. So for us, we know that God chooses to work when his people are praying in ways that he chooses not to when we don't pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his highest and greatest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Martin Lloyd Jones went on. He said, "It's the highest activity of the human soul, and therefore, it's at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells more about the truth of our soul, the condition of where we are, so much as our life of prayer, our prayer life." Ian e. Bound said, "This: the story of every great Christian achievement is the history of answered prayer." Before God chooses to work in mighty ways among nations, among peoples, in community, and even churches, God often begins to stir in the hearts of many to begin to pray. We trust that's what He's doing now. John Owen, that Puritan theologian, said it this way, and this is personally very convicting for me. He's Speaking of pastors, he said, a pastor or a minister may fill his pews, his communion roll, the mouths of the public, but what the pastor is on his knees, in secret before God Almighty, he is and is no more. Wow, that's challenging. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Colossae, Colossians 4, he said, Devote, devote, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul said the same thing in Romans 12. Be devoted to prayer. The early church was a picture of men and women who devoted their lives to prayer first and then God did mighty things through them as they prayed. The apostles in the early church said we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. James said the effective prayers of a righteous man accomplish much. Much. So, We as a church are going to put this into practice over the next few weeks together. And here's kind of what the plan is going to look like. It's going to involve us praying corporately as a church family for the next five weeks. The message here at the Johnson City campus is going to be tied directly to an aspect of prayer. We're going to try to give you the truths of God's Word around this thing that He calls prayer. It's going to be in our groups Our life groups in particular are going to take special dedicated time to praying for and with each other. And if you are not a part of a life group here, let me strongly encourage you. Next week will be the opportunity for you to plug into a life group, if you're not, where you can be prayed for and pray for others and understand the power of praying for one another in the life of a church family. And then we prepared a a personal prayer guide for you. These are available out at both exits. Uh, Maybe you already have these. I hope so. If not, you can download these or pick one up on your way out. This is simply a 31-day prayer guide. Uh, Simple little snippets of the ideas to help you pray Scripture uh, the idea is that throughout the months, today's day three, really, because it's January 3rd. Uh, day three, all these were written by you and folks within our church to come alongside you in your time with the Lord. So we're praying the same things together. God's unifying us together as we pray together, and we're praying Scripture together as a church family. So I encourage you to pick one of these up uh, as you head out this morning. So, now... I just happen to know some things about kind of the way you think and the way I think. I I imagine as I'm beginning to talk about prayer, some of you begin to get a little bit uncomfortable. Because you're anticipating, you think you know what I'm going to say over the next few minutes. And you're, you're thinking, okay... Pastor Mike's going to be talking about prayer, and I know my prayer life is not where it's supposed to be. I know I don't pray enough. I know I don't pray right. I know he's gonna heap this guilt on me about the failures in my areas of prayer. That's what you think I'm gonna say over the next few minutes, right? Well, that's exactly what I'm no, that's not what I'm gonna say, okay? It's not what I'm gonna say. Here's what I want you to know. What I do want you to know over the next few minutes is the truth of what God says in His Word about the gift of prayer. And therefore, guilt is not a long-term motivation to do anything. Did you know that? Grace is what motivates us and empowers us to live this Christian life. Grace comes from the Spirit of God within us. Grace comes when we humble ourselves before God's Word and we hold on to what is true and we live out of what is true. So for the next few minutes, what I want to do is I'm going to give you seven truths about prayer and trust from God's Word that these will motivate, encourage, encourage, challenge you for us to continue to grow together as men and women in this thing called prayer and on this journey together, all right? So I'm going to give you some truths. These are going to be quick. We're eventually going to land in Luke 11, and then we're going to spend some time together in corporate prayer this morning, okay? All right, here we go. Let me give you seven truths on this thing called prayer. Number one is this. Prayer is talking with God. (laughs) You say, that is incredibly simple, Pastor Mike. That is the reason I said it, because based on Scripture, we have a way of complicating this thing called prayer. We make it very abstract. We make it very complicated. When Scripture is clear, as a child of God, listen to Psalm 4.3. says this, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now just let that resonate in your soul for a few minutes this morning. That Creator God... The Lord who spoke all things into existence. The God who holds all things together by his powerful word. The Lord who has unlimited resources, unlimited grace, unlimited power. Perfect love for you. Listen, here's when you pray. Now, maybe we've been Christians for too long. Maybe we've read these truths for too long. That ought to dazzle us and blow our minds away. That when I begin to utter a word, the God of heaven hears me. Wow. God, you hear me. Another place in Scripture says that God is attentive to the prayers of His people, He cares. He gives His attention to His people when they pray. Wow! That is a staggering reality this morning. Prayer is talking with God. Secondly, prayer is a privilege for God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, The nation of Israel, Moses said this, For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God? is near to us whenever we call on him what a privilege this thing called prayer is for the people of god now somehow some way in our thinking and in our flesh i think we turn prayer into a burden Well, I've got to pray this much, and I've got to pray in this way. And Pastor Mike told me I I better pray, and if I don't pray, God's mad at me. And pretty soon it becomes this yoke upon our neck. And listen, that is a distorted understanding of the privilege we have to call out to the Creator God who gives attention to the prayers of His people. What a privilege! What a privilege. Prayer prayer is talking with God. Prayer is a privilege for God's people. And thirdly, let me remind you of this truth. Prayer is directed to a sovereign God. Now that ought to give you chills for a minute and that ought to stir in your hearts this this yearning. Man, I just want to call out to it. I want to spend time in prayer. I want want to constantly have this attitude of prayer. Psalm 103 says this, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Jesus, when He gave the Great Commission to His disciples, Matthew 28, 18, you know this, many of you by heart, the first thing He said to them was this, All authority is is given to me. All authority is given to me. Here's what that means. When you call out to God in this conversation, this God who hears, this privilege that we have to pray, you are talking to the sovereign being of the universe who is unlimited in power and resources and capacity to change things and to step into your life and make a difference. People say to me all the time, think about this. Here's what I hear. Maybe you've thought this. Well, Pastor Mike, if God is sovereign over all things, and He is, and if God is in control of all things, why do I bother praying? Have you ever thought that? I mean, God's in control of everything. What what matters? What does it matter to pray? You don't understand what Scripture teaches. Here's the reality. Here's the way to look at it. Listen, if God is not sovereign, Why waste your time praying? If you are praying to a God who's who's going to make a good suggestion, why pray to that God? But if He's the God of the Bible who spoke and all things came into existence, if He's the God of the Bible who has unlimited power and resources, if He's the God of the Bible who cares... And we cry out to him in prayer because somehow, some way, in the sovereign plan of God, God has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. I don't fully understand it. I don't. Now listen, that matters to you when you're praying beside the bedside of your sick child. You say, okay, I get that sovereign God part. I Listen, it matters to you when you go home tomorrow and you go into work and you're given the pink slip and you go home and you pray. You're not praying to a God who might make a good suggestion. You're praying to the God of the universe who opens and closes doors at his bidding for your good and his glory. You're praying to the God of all grace for that neighbor or that student or that brother who does not know Christ and you are pleading that God will open His eyes by His grace to see the glory of the gospel and come to know Christ because He can. He's sovereign. You know why our praying is weak sometimes? Me. You know why we hear such weak praying and such passive, timid praying. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with my view of God. Because <laughs> if we get a hold of this, He is sovereign in the heavens. Jesus said, listen, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Everything answers to Jesus. Everything. That's the one you're praying to who has perfect care and concern and love for you. Wow. Fourthly, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is a privilege. Third, prayer is directed to a sovereign God. Fourthly, prayer is Bible-saturated. What does that mean? It means the greatest thing we can do for our life of prayer is to take the Word of God and pray the truth of the Word of God back to God. Donald Whitney, a book that, he wrote a book called Praying God's Word. I'm gonna, we're going to make that available to you next week for purchase. One of our weeks, we're going to talk about the power that is available to you as you take the truth of God's Word and you cry out to God from the truth of His Word. Jesus said it this way, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, truth, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What is to fuel our praying and the content of our praying? God's Word. The truth of God's Word. The entire prayer book, the entire Bible can can be seen as a prayer book that we call back out to God in prayer. Fifthly, prayer... Different aspects of prayer. Prayer is praise. Prayer is confession. Prayer is thanksgiving. And prayer is petition. The different dynamics and aspects of prayer. Prayer is praise. Psalm 146, 1 and 2. David, in one of these psalms, these prayer psalms, Verse Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Prayer is praise. Nothing can inform and empower and awaken your life of prayer like praying the Word of God of praise back to your Heavenly Father. Prayer is confession. David, Psalm 51, said, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's a believer here, but he's fallen into sin. He's made bad choices. We do that. Prayer is confession. Being honest with God. God, I blew it. Confession. Prayer is thanksgiving and petition. Man, it's hard to tell you even talk about prayer without going to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Many of you guys have this memorized. I mean, if you want a prayer to put or a passage to put on your refrigerator or on your bathroom mirror, here it is. Ready? uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing. (laughs) Stop right there. Paul, are you crazy? (laughs) How many of us have got that one licked? Be anxious for nothing. How are we doing on that one? Listen, this can be a reality. That the anxieties that battle against your soul, those things that when you woke up this morning were right there staring you in the face, and I'm not talking about your spouse, those things that were there, those concerns and those things you're battling with, these anxieties, Paul says, the Word of God says, be anxious for nothing. Can you imagine a life like that? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this. This is so beautiful. And the peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. What is that peace of God like? I can't even comprehend it. will be yours in Christ Jesus will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's making an incredible promise of prayer here. It's a petition. It's a thanksgiving. It's taking the things that eat at us. It's taking the things that concern us and saying, Lord, here, I'm bringing them to you. I, first Peter 5 says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. It, it's like a mental picture of taking this thing I'm bearing, I'm concerned. And Lord, I don't know how you're going to fix it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to take this. I'm going to cast this anxiety on you. In faith, and God says there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Man, isn't that good. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is a privilege. You're talking to a sovereign God. It's praise, confession, thanksgiving, petition. Number six, real quick. Jesus prayed. <laughs> Jesus prayed. I mean, if you take the Gospels and you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we just read through the whole Bible last year as a church and completed the story. You don't get very far in any of the Gospels until you find the Lord Jesus Christ Himself praying. And when I read that, when I think about that, okay, if Jesus, the Son of God, the God Man, spends time in prayer, what about me? <laughs> Jesus prayed. Listen, Mark one thirty-five. Some of your least favorite verse, in the early morning, oh man, there he goes, early morning, I don't think Jesus likes me very much in the morning. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from his death. Jesus offered up loud prayers with crying and tears. Jesus prayed fervently. Luke 11.1, 1, I told you we'd get to Luke. It says, and it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, Jesus had a habit of prayer. It characterized the life of Jesus. Here's what we know about Jesus' prayer life. He prayed alone, Luke 5.16. He prayed with others, Luke 9:28. He prayed for his friends, John 17:9. He prayed for his enemies, Luke 23. How would that change your life? Jesus prayed for his enemies. He prayed intentionally. He had a time, a place that he set aside and he went and spent time with the Father. He prayed spontaneously. He prayed as he went. It gives, it's kind of a stumbling block for some people. Well, is prayer a, a, a room I go to, a, a place, a, a time I carve out, or is prayer just kind of a constant attitude and conversation with God? You know what the answer is? Yeah, it's all that. Jesus practiced that. The place, a time he went to focus on prayer, but throughout his day there was this conversation going on between he and his Father. We have that same privilege. Jesus prayed. Number seven, and finally, is this. Jesus taught us to pray. Luke 11, 1, Jesus says this, or the Bible says this, says it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, they were so enamored by the prayer life of Jesus or the life of prayer of Jesus. They said, Teach us to pray. And teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. They had seen this picture of prayer and they wanted Jesus to teach them, so that's what he does. Now, here's what I'm going to do in the time we have remaining, just a few minutes, and then we're going to spend some time praying together as a church family. I'm going to give you three images of the attitude of prayer that Jesus gives us here in Luke 11. He gives three word pictures of how we are to pray or, or pictures of our heart in prayer. Now, I'm going to skip intentionally all the way down to verse 5. We're going to cover verses 3 and 4 later in a few weeks out of the Gospel of Matthew. But Jesus, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He says, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you three stories. I'm going to give you some word pictures. And my hope is that the Spirit of God will impress these upon your heart and one of these will land on you to convict and challenge and encourage us in this attitude, and this action of prayer. Verse 5, the Bible says this. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. Now, stop right there. In our culture, that doesn't mean a lot. In that culture, hospitality was of extreme importance. If a guest came into your home, you were obligated. It meant everything that you treat them kindly, you provide them a meal, you serve them. Hospitality in this Near Eastern culture meant everything. So he's given this story of something everyone can relate to. He says, verse 6, he was, went to a friend's house because another friend had showed up at his house and arrived for a visit. And he says, neighbor, my friend is here. He shows up for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. Stop right there. Now in that day, Jesus' listeners heard that and something in them just began to stir a little bit. He thought, that is the most awkward, that is the most desperate situation. We have friends who arrive. We have nothing to serve them. We have nothing to feed them. In that day, that was such a social taboo. You just didn't do that. So Jesus is using it as an illustration, watch this, of someone in a desperate situation who simply does not have what they need. He says, you go to your friend. You ask him for bread. Verse 7, and suppose he calls out from his bread room and says, don't bother me. You go get your own bread. I'm asleep. It's dark. My family and I are in bed. I can't help you. Verse 8, here's the point. What's this. But I tell you this. Though He won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, He will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. Verse 6 says, you have nothing. It's a picture of desperation. Verse 8 says, shameless persistence. The idea is of urgency, of audacity, of boldness, of honesty before the Lord. And Jesus is giving you an intentional word picture. He says, a heart for you and me in prayer is as a desperate beggar who has nothing. That's the word picture. This beggar doesn't try to pray fancy religious language. This beggar doesn't try to make it sound good or look good. He is honest because he lacks something. He needs something. And Jesus says, look, pray like a shameless beggar who is desperate and in great need. Now, in that day when you heard that, those that those that heard that story, it kind of shook them a little bit because it was so crazy, so radical that Jesus would say that. That's the the design for you and me. Some of us are hindered in our prayer life because we're simply not honest with God. We're too worried about looking like desperate. We're too worried about making it pretty. We're too worried about what somebody might even think. Jesus says, hey, come to me. Call out to me. Come to me as one in great need, one who's desperate. And he continues and he says this, verse 9, And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you've asked for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be open to you pray as a shameless desperate beggar there's simply some things that god will do only when we pray and only when we ask second word picture very quick these will go quicker he says verse 11 you fathers if your children ask for bread do you give them a stone For a fish, or do you give them a snake? Now, you guys know my worst fear in the world, snakes. I go to my dad and say, hey, dad, I need a fish, and he gives me a snake? Jesus is getting your attention here. He says, no, of course not. Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Secondly, pray as a child to his father. I said, I don't have time to go there. You can just look it up on your own. Write down Romans 8, 15 through 17. Romans 8, 15 through 17. Paul takes this idea of the Spirit of God within us we as believers now have the Spirit of God within us. We talked about that earlier. One of the works, one of the things that the Spirit of God is doing in your life and my life, according to Romans 8, Paul says this, you've not been given a spirit of fear leading to slavery again, but we have a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, God. In other words... We have the Spirit of God within us. And when we open our Bibles and we are crying out truth, the Spirit of God continually confirms over and over and over and over to you the richness of being in God's family. I am a son. I am a daughter. And I can approach my Father with whatever is on my heart and on my mind. Pray as a son. Or a daughter. Thirdly, and finally, pray as a beggar. Pray as a son or a daughter. Luke eleven fourteen. Last verse is this. You might read along this, and you might be reading along. You come to verse fourteen, and you think the context has changed. But in the New American Standard, the the first word in verse fourteen is the word "and." It's connected. In the context of prayer, in the context of teaching about prayer, in the context of modeling prayer, the next verse we come to is Luke eleven fourteen, And Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute, and the demon had gone out. It, Jesus is casting out a demon. What in the world does that have to do with prayer here, Luke, who wrote this? Here's the reality for you and for me. It's the third word picture of our attitude in prayer. Desperate beggar, I have nothing. A son or a daughter, in one sense, I have everything in Christ. Thirdly, Jesus goes to battle because we pray as a soldier on the battlefield. Listen, we're at war. There's an enemy. The souls of men and women are at stake. We are dealing with eternally significant things. And in the context of prayer, Luke puts this in here and says, And Jesus was battling against the forces of Satan himself. You are at war. I am at war. There is a battle going on. John Piper says, and I'll quote him, Until you believe that life is war, we will not understand fully what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of the wartime mission. We are on mission. We are in a battle. Listen to this quote. The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. <laughs> uh, Lord, if you're not too busy, I need, I need this. I need this down here. I'm really, uh, God, God's concerned about everything. But listen. God has placed you on a battlefield, you are in the thick of battle, you are like a soldier in a foxhole, and you get that wartime walkie-talkie called prayer, and you say, "God, I need an airstrike. God, I need you to intervene. I need you to step in for the soul of my brother or this battle that my sister's facing, or what this family has going on, or what I'm struggling with, or my teenage son, or a situation. you are at war. And our prayers and the way we pray reflects the reality that we think we are on a cruise liner when God has placed us on a battleship. You are at war. And prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not your beep domestic intercom to get your earthly comforts. So, with that, I'm going to encourage and challenge all of us this morning. We're going to shamelessly pray as a congregation for just a few minutes together. The team's going to come on up and just kind of play behind me for a few minutes, but here's here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a church family over the next few minutes before we close. Uh, I'm going to share with you, based on all that we've said, what your leaders, your elders, are praying on your behalf over the next few weeks. Uh, I just want you to know you're... Your elders have taken this so seriously that starting tomorrow, we're setting aside a week of prayer and fasting for you, for us as a church family. And we're going to be praying specifically over four dynamics and four things in the life of our church. Here they are. And then I'm going to go ahead and tell you, after I tell you these, I'm going to ask you to be bold enough and shameless enough, like a beggar, to move into a posture of prayer. And we're going to pray together. I'm going to lead you over four topics, and we're going to pray. That may mean for you, you kneel where you are. That may mean you join me right down front. I'm going to kneel right here before the Lord. We're going to shamelessly and desperately cry out to God in prayer. You may want to stand. You may want to stay seated, whatever the case is. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to move into a posture of prayer. Here's what your elders are praying for us as a church. Number one, that we would thrive as followers of Christ in our abiding relationship. That we would be thriving. That we would not be apathetic. That we would not be complacent. That we would not be watching from the sidelines. That our relationship with Christ would not be this ho-hum East Tennessee religion. But a passionate pursuit of the person of Christ. That bears great fruit of joy and love. That is promised to us in Christ. Are we thriving? Secondly, unity. A contagious unity for this family of faith that's what the early church had they had the kind of unity that others looked into and said I want to be a part of that a unity where we fervently love one another we're serving one another we're of one mind man if we hear gossip or we hear murmuring we rise up and we say man it's your brother what are you doing we fervently love one another thirdly a passion for the souls of lost men and women around us not apathy I'll just tell you as your pastor, we are structured as a church. We will not grow. We will not reach people unless each of us realize we are the evangelistic tool. We are. You are. As we're sent out. And fourthly, we're we're praying against, we're praying for freedom from strongholds. Some of you in this room right now, as I pray, there's a stronghold in your life. There's an addiction. There's a stronghold to Materialism. There's a stronghold to pornography. There's a stronghold of bitterness. There's a stronghold of you just name it. And the Bible says there's a power to break those strongholds, it's prayer and the Word of God. So we're going to pray through those four things really quick this morning. So i want to invite you right now. I want to invite you to boldly move into a posture of prayer, whatever that is for you. Stay seated. Some of you, I want to ask you to join me down front. I'm going to kneel right here and I'm going to walk us through these four things as we pray together this morning as a church. So I'm going to give you a second as you move into that posture and then I'm going to lead you through these four things and we'll be done as a church. You may want to huddle up as families, as couples, as individuals. You may want to gather there with your children, whatever the case is. I want you first to begin to pray like a shameless beggar, like a son or a daughter, like a soldier on the battlefield. God, we yearn to abide in you and grow in Christ's likeness. And God, we we yearn to bear fruit. Lord, would you help us to thrive in our relationship with Christ? Paul prayed this way in Ephesians 1, that the eyes of their heart would be opened, that we would know what is the glory and the hope of our calling in Christ. All that is ours in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. He has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We would push back apathy. We would push back complacency. And God, we would thrive in a zeal in our hunger and thirst for you. Would you pray that? Secondly, would you pray and ask God for a contagious unity here among this body? It's a very important thing to the Lord. John 17, Jesus prayed. He he prayed for us and prayed that we would have the unity, that we would be one even as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. That's crazy. The unity of the Spirit of God, the triune unity. We would have that kind of unity. Peter said, fervently love one another from the heart God, would you let us have that kind of unity here? Unity begins with me, us, our responsibility to fight for the unity of the body. Would you pray for that? Thirdly, would you pray, as Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul prayed, give me boldness in the utterance of my mouth that I may speak with clarity the message of the gospel. God, give us a passion, a deep passion that moves us to evangelism to make you known. Would you pray that? fourthly here you may have a name in mind you may have a situation in mind but would you pray for freedom from strongholds strongholds of lies grip individuals strongholds grip entire churches the Bible said though we walk in the flesh we do not war that way the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses our strongholds strongholds of lies deceptions that can ensnare and paralyze us, deceit, bitterness, greed, envy. And the power to break those strongholds is Bible-saturated prayer. Would you pray, God, break those strongholds? God, we want to walk in the freedom that is ours in Christ. No lie holding on to us in any way for Your glory. Father I want to pray for my church family my brothers and sisters here Lord and I pray with them and for them that God over the next few weeks and days God you would change us God a hunger God a unity that's contagious God a passion for men and women around us that don't know us boys and girls students here and to the ends of the earth and Lord I pray you destroy strongholds that may be holding us back as a church in any way for your glory and your honor Lord, we trust you that the effective prayers of a righteous man or woman, boy or girl accomplish much. And we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.